Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. We're talking with some of the speakers coming to the 2022 NRBS conference, where the focus is stress, anxiety, and burnout. Today, our guide to the healthy brain and happy body is Alexander Linardicus, a registered nurse and neurotherapist. She founded Tetra Neuronet, a practice specializing in neuromodulation for patients experiencing significant dysregulation. Today's host, Paula Pogliesi, talked with Alexandra about providing body-based interventions like neurofeedback and biofeedback for children who have experienced trauma. Hi, so Lexi, coming into the field of biofeedback and neurofeedback from as an RN is kind of off the beaten path. And I wondered what led you to find biofeedback and neurofeedback and what made you decide to make it a career? Thank you for asking that question. And it's a really meaningful one to me. So I had some pretty gnarly concussions um, at different points in my life. And I had always really valued reading and um, by the end of one of my last concussions, I really couldn't read at all. And um, I was invited by a good friend and colleague, Stephen Larson, to come over to his place. And he was going to try to help me with some of his neurofeedback. And um, I was walking around like I had a, a tiger's claws just enmeshed into my head. Headaches like you couldn't believe and so much difficulty concentrating and within a very short period of time, the tiger's claws were just literally removed from my head and I was able to be reading and reading more longer periods of time. And so I got my life back in a way that had so much value and sweetness to it that I, um, it must've been obvious because the people at um, Stephen Larson's office said, oh, why don't you come work for us? Maybe you could be an apprentice and we think you would be very good at this. And um, so I did, I became an apprentice and, and I was not trained as a psychologist um, nor a nurse at the time. And I saw the beautiful psychological changes people would have, but I was also really intrigued by the medical changes people were experiencing and expressing. And I was very interested in the medical science component and um, so there was a nursing program close by and I decided after looking at, you know, a doctor, a nurse, a, a psychologist, which direction do I want to go? For various reasons, I chose to go into nursing and, and found that, okay, this is very interesting because when you look at some of the definition of being a nurse, it's, it's um, assessing people's reactions to their medical diagnoses and I think so much of what biofeedback can offer is is um, uh, ways to help modulate uh, reactivity to that which is beyond sometimes what we can even understand or control in a moment and to really be able to ride the waves a little bit um, more confidently and with a little bit more self-knowledge I think that's um you know Having chosen to become a nurse, I'm, I, I feel so thankful that that was one good decision I really made and, you know, really wanted to 
go into research because I feel like that's very relevant for biofeedback and neurofeedback. And instead I got sidetracked more towards doing clinical work. Um, so I, I have a lot of other nurses who I hope to um, influence more and more with interest to going into this field because I think it's so relevant for nurses to have access to this knowledge and some of the interventions that biofeedback avails. Absolutely. Speaking as a nurse, I can agree that in any clinical setting um, with, with patients, even with patients' families, it would mm. be helpful. Yeah, and I work with a, a group of psychiatrists, and what I found is that a lot of the interventions that I offer, the uh, doctors will also use for themselves or to be able to pass on to their clients. And so I feel like one of the components that biofeedback has that is so useful is that we recognize we have ourselves, our nervous systems that, that hopefully get affected and hopefully get excited and hopefully get, you know, oh, flattened. And, and so we learn our own ways and become, uh, you know, part of the part of the process of, of, you know, bringing consciousness to what's going on. So tell me something about Tetro Neuronet. I understand that's a company that you founded. And if you could um, tell me a little bit about the services that you provide. Well, um, Tetra Neuronet was brought forth by a group of mothers who um, requested my services and there was uh, four mothers so you know Tetras four and um, Neuronet so there were all these different fours uh, coming up in my in my life as I was uh, challenging myself to become a um, business owner and to um, venture out on my own with a neurotherapy practice and Tetra Neuronet is um, I am the founder of it and it's something that is um, offering assessments. So I do QEEGs and neurocognitive assessments. Um, the neurocognitive assessments that I do are through CNSVS. And this company is very interesting because they make their assessments free to high schools, to schools for the uh, athletes to do pre and post evaluations. And so this is an amazing field that we're a part of. And so I do these assessments and then some other, you know, more uh, taking the history of, of people. And with Tetra Neuronet and um, my thinking for the histories, I like to use the phrase of we have um, ancestral voices singing through ancient brain structures. And so I think, you know, the idea that our brains are built for survival and that, you know, once survival is a little bit more clear and safety is a little bit more clear, then we'll go out exploring. And so my business is very eclectic. You know, I do some pretty intensive therapies and then I do some very gentle, simple things with people. So it really varies and is based on the clientele that I see an N of one each time. So you're going to be speaking to us at the conference about uh, using somato 
regulation, thematic regulation with children. And I was wondering what differences you see in working with school age K to 12 children versus an older population. Oh, I love that question. And um, one of the most distinct differences that I see, if I understand the question correctly, because it's such a good question, is that that age group, the school age population, is uh, really willing to, to get messy, really willing to where, you know, I say, okay, I'd like you to maybe breathe in this way or this pattern. They're going to see what happens if they do the exact opposite, you know, so really exploring and really having fun with their physiologic signals. And um, so that is um, one of the components that I see is, is a lot of surprise, a lot of them teaching me, a lot of the um, differences that I see is just the children that age being able to challenge me and really ask some questions that are so creative, so good. And um, so that's, that's some very clear, clear difference. And also just the movement, the willing to move and play and, and then see how their physiology regulates afterwards. And so sometimes with uh, adults, it will be more like, controlled and certain and they're willing to let me influence a little bit but they're you know indoctrinated in these different ways of behaving and and I feel like with the children I work with um there's just this spirit of exploration you know and the spirit of um uh what do you know and and maybe I can show you something different so one example quickly is that um I was putting on the, the cap, the EEG cap, to do a, a brain rhythm recording with an 11-year-old. And I had gone over, oh, these are how you evoke some artifacts. And they were blinking their eyes to see those big waves that come from eye movement in the EEG. And then they were sitting still and quieting down. And I was talking with the parents and looking at the screen. And I start to see these amazing excursions of the EEG and I realized the kid is blinking his eyes in these different patterns but they were very set patterns and he said oh I was trying to speak with you in Morse code <laughs> so you know that um uh oh I'm I'm taking this seriously my life is serious but I'm also uh exploring you know and and initiating um some play those, those are some of the things that I notice and, and like to tap into working with that age group. Yeah, I always tell my clients, the prettiest brain waves come from curiosity. And yeah. I think that's what we see in, in the kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And adult, some adults. So in the same vein, what is something that you would, you wish that uh, school personnel and parents knew about dealing with this age group that maybe we don't understand? Um, well, I have a feeling that the educators and the administrators actually do know that which I wish would be more of a um, 
constant. I think these people are are really highly educated and trained, and so the conflicts, uh, the different conflicts of the the developmental stages that children are going through. That's Erickson's stages of development, right? And there's these conflicts that arise at different stages in our life, in our development. And I feel like the one of the conflicts that is so relevant with the age ranges that we're talking about is, uh, what is it? In industry versus in inferiority. So that sense of industriousness, like I can, that, that sense of I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then um, for the older, older school age children, the identity versus confusion. So those two conflicts, I just, that, that, and the people in the schools who I would consider are on the front lines working with kids during these times to to recognize that um, them being there, the educators. I actually work in my practice. I have a lot of teachers who come to me for neurotherapy and they're sharing with me what a challenge it is for them, but also for the children. The children are so um, challenged from the different stressors that are that are coming in their direction and the degree of uncertainty and where do you find a safe place to recalibrate so on the one hand that you know fixing things is um it's a process and that maybe just finding and following and and identifying what the conflicts are rather than saying there's going to be something that we fix because sometimes the kids from what I notice need to have the safe space to express themselves and to 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 pull the feedback from within themselves and so you know we in the biofeedback world are often suggesting oh here's the screen look at the screen you're going to get feedback from the screen and i think that one of the you know low budget components of all of this that i i wish educators and administrators know that children have access to as do they is that, you know, we have sensors, our hands are our sensors. We have our consciousness, that's also a sensor to go within and to look for what the feedback is that we can get that way. So putting our hands, you know, one hand on the belly, one hand on the chest and just feeling that mystery of I am sitting still in my chair for all intensive purposes, look at me now, I am sitting still and yet there is this subtle movement my belly, my chest, they're rising and they're falling, you know, and then playing a little bit with, uh, I say, I say temperature, tension and texture, you know, just for people to, if we're going to say, okay, biofeedback, you could have an inner screen. So you might need your consciousness or your hands to, to sense that inner um, feedback that I'm going to ask people to get. And, and so to, to check in with, what is the state, um, the internal state, and what are the messages that you're getting and that that, that be accessible. And then um, that might help with, with the group to regulate better in a classroom. And so I'm gonna show two things. Um, one that I had a teacher tell me, um, he was very afraid his students would make fun of him, but actually it calmed the whole classroom. So this is, um, a movement and you simply are going almost like a, a um, 
listening left ear to left shoulder, right ear to right shoulder. And so this is a very different position that suggests a very different state of consciousness. So if you are having a rigid head on your shoulders, like, oh my gosh, what is happening? That um, translates to the group as a teacher, that kind of firmness, it's beautiful. Sometimes it's so appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then that like melting and waiting to see, hmm, I wonder how this is going to go, you know? So this side to side, sometimes I'll say, oh, it's a figure eight. And, and also um, standing in a way where your hands, hands have an openness rather than a, a fierce, you know, so, so that with like a softness in the knees and the arms. So just for the educators and the administrators to be aware, oh, my body position, I might have some influence that way. So how am I, how am I feeling almost, you know, right. that, that their own ability to regulate is going to be a, a feedback loop. And um, so that, and uh, the, the havening, so that's a whole nother realm of introduction that we won't get into too much right now, but it does involve touch. So you see your hands here and sometimes we'll have just this, um, let me get in the position. So just brushing down from the shoulders to the elbows um, that creates a certain amount of regulation and, and we'll have some people, you know, some school age children be doing this to these three places. Also from the nose brushing out to the ears these three places, um, it will bring people right down to be able to actually sit and attend in the classroom and what have you. So, so the somatic being then really um, shown, oh, this is, this is within my um, ability to demonstrate this as a teacher or as an administrator, and then see the kids have fun, it becomes a mess, it doesn't become a mess, and kids love it. My experience is that if I forget to do these things with children in my personal life and in my professional life, they'll say, Lex, you forgot. Let's do this. You know, that, that ability to just feel their bodies come right down or conversely, you know, hyperventilating or, or rubbing up or getting right. into all of that tension, just seeing, oh, I can go from excitation to inhibition or I can go from so so wound up to so so still and quiet that 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 um, variability is is a beautiful thing for I think teachers and administrators to know like it's not just the gym teacher it's not just the nurse it's it's applicable in different in different situations settings right and I think those techniques Children are a little bit less self-conscious to do them. And if we teach them as at a young age, maybe when they get to adulthood, they'll feel more comfortable doing them and maybe not so intimidated by just being comfortable touching. Thank you um, for saying that. And that is, you know, it's very relevant is that, that, you know, the peer pressure or what will other people think and when does that come in at different ages? And so you know, it's, it's very relevant to, to keep that in mind. And yes, starting younger, really, really relevant. I, I do want to mention two things. One of them is um, 
there's been some expressive arts programming um, through a United States Department of Education grant. And um, this is really amazing because it's an example of how social emotional learning is being um, found now as, as a, a, something that we need in schools. And so this is a beautiful contribution um, from Kathy Melchiotti and um, is something called, what does your sigh look like? And so getting children to feel comfortable about sighing and sighs of relief and sighs of frustration and sighs of being tired, but, but, you know, giving them a piece of paper. I'll show you what um, Kathy had distributed. So what does your sigh look like? And this is being brought into schools and, and the teachers, the educators are being given this to allow the students to do. And then you have um, crayons or colored pencils and you, you, okay, when it's a sigh of relief, where do I feel like it's coming from and what color is it and what are the line formations? And so another way of getting feedback, but also um, shifting gears. So you're moving people into their frontal lobes by moving their bodies or by doing art that that is a frontal lobe activation so that's a way i can have power and and see what's happening here um and then sighing of course is like oh all that buildup of exhales that i didn't do enough of during the day (laughs) (laughs) making more space in the lungs to to (laughs) adapt and meet the moment right um so i do a lot of z-score training with my yeah. clients and I often use very many channels, multiple channels. And so I'm getting live maps as they're training yeah. and we can actually see what their size look like in their brain. You know, when they do a sigh, we see the map change and if it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So they're getting some feedback that way, but it's, that's interesting. What do your size look like? I never thought of it expressed that way. I mean, it's brilliant because it's accessible. I mean, part of the field we're in, biofeedback and the neurofeedback, is there are these sensors and there are these screens and there are these programs and they are so relevant. And 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 I wouldn't trade them for the world. And at the same time, you know, um, how do you get this out to so many people and so many children for 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 regulation um, right. capabilities that are are um, going to be like you said, so then as you grow older, it's, it's, it's inherent in your system. And it's been something that you've been learning um, in a way that social emotional learning, you know, how do I feel when I see something happening to somebody else, something beautiful, something wonderful, something terrible, you know, recognizing, oh, that's affecting me, that kind of feedback. And, you know, uh, starting to recognize, like you said, you sometimes you have caps on someone's head and, you see them being able to see it in their brain waves, you know, and um, and and that's that's amazing, you know. And then how how are the other ways that we get to see those those changes take place when you see something happening to people we love or or um, to you know oh I'm I recognize a tightness because they got to do something I didn't get to do it. So there's right. just <laughs> so much to be um, playing with, I guess, in this field learning from I always tell my clients I wish we had a little forehead QEEG that we could see on everyone and Mm -hmm. then maybe our words 
would be kinder and we would notice the effect that they have on other people's mm. yeah yeah and 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 that's that's a hope i have too i i send power to that hope of yours uh, so so in the same vein where would you hope to see the field in five ten years as in regards to um the school-age population First, the school-age population, then maybe adults. Uh, well, one of the things that I would hope for is that the um, schools would have things like comfort rooms or sensory rooms where, you know, kids could kind of go into a place that is lower level stimulation, you know, really, really settle down so that their nervous systems can quiet and almost like they go into a little pod and just have comfort and soothing. And, um, you know, that's sometimes the nurse's office for some kids and that's wonderful. But to, to um, share an anecdote is I was working with someone from a local high school and she was telling me, she's a, a guidance counselor. She was telling me how it's a high school, actually, you know, a lot of the kids were going to the bathrooms um, so often and they were going and just hanging out in the stalls because they were so overwhelmed, you know, just, just, just so much stuff going on um, in the last, in the last period of time. And that she was saying, you know, there's such a need for them to just be able to go somewhere and to be able to relax and not be exposed to so much of the other um, noise that's going on around them. And so Yep, um, sensory or comfort rooms as one idea is was one of the hopes, and another is just that the um, recognition of the emotional and the social components be able to be woven in, and so that teachers and administrators not be worried about losing time or progress, but but really recognizing how that's necessary for kids to be in a certain state. Um, not controlled and for everyone, but to be able to say, okay, you know, we're going to um, ready ourselves, our emotional bodies and our um, social bodies so that we can then get into the cognitive and the um, academic learning. So, so for people to be able to have more of the um, things that they can do in a given classroom, maybe there's a corner and, and bringing some of that into where we all um, might have some of the evocation of what do you need as, as a student? So, so the teachers, you have to manage, let's say 22 students. Mm -hmm. That's part of how they get to know the students. You know, what are the things that are calming for you? What are the things that are gonna help you stay focused and be exciting? How do you transition? And, and I think that is already happening. I think we're on the way to seeing that um, come into place. You've been listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. Your host today was Paula Pugliese, and our guide to the healthy brain and happy body was Alexandra Lenardicus, who provides biofeedback, neurofeedback, and neuromodulation services to patients with nervous system dysregulation. You can learn more about Alexandra at tetraneuronet.org 
or by joining us at this year's Northeast Region Biofeedback Conference to hear her and others speak. Remember, podcast listeners get a 25% discount by registering with the code HAPPYLISTENER at nrbs.org. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really do want to hear from you. Be part of this ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, ideas, and questions at healthybrain at nrbs.org. Leave us reviews as well. It really helps podcasts like this one reach more listeners. Healthy Brain Happy Body is produced and edited by me, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body.